Is the party that has reshaped Scottish politics on the brink of a split? The Scottish National Party is in the throes of a very divisive leadership election after the resignation of First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. One candidate, Kate Forbes, is a member of the Conservative Free Church of Scotland and she's got traditional views on sexual and gender identity. In an article for ABC Religion and Ethics Online, Miles Pattenden asks what the backlash against Forbes might mean for the role of personal faith in modern politics. The controversy surrounding Kate Forbes started after the leader of the Scottish National Party, Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, resigned. And there is now a leadership contest to decide who to replace her. Kate Forbes is one of the leading candidates. She is a an evangelical Christian who has a range of socially conservative views that don't necessarily chime very well with the wider membership of the Scottish National Party. So there's been quite a lot of public debate on this subject in Scotland and in the UK generally around the question of, well, what views do you need to hold or subscribe to in order to be able to participate in public life? Yes, and what are a couple of those specific views that have enraged her opponents? There are quite a few, it turns out. The original one is that she is essentially a gender-critical feminist who opposes gender self-ID, which is the policy which probably brought down Nicola Sturgeon. But she also opposes gay marriage and has said on record that she would not have voted for it when it was passed by the Scottish Parliament in 2014. It now turns out, of course, also that her husband is a supporter of the Conservative Party. So all these things are anathema to certain strands of public opinion within the Scottish National Party, and she's having a very tough time of things. On these lightning rod questions, though, of uh, gender self-identification and same-sex marriage, hasn't Kate Forbes said that should she become the First Minister, she would defend the rights of all citizens, including sexual minorities? She has said that, but it doesn't necessarily satisfy all parties. And that is the point at which the contention becomes significant, because there is, of course, an argument against her position, which is essentially, she's saying, well, I don't agree with this, but I'll go along with the majority consensus. And people say, well, what if the majority consensus were to swing back to her view? Would she then favour rescinding it? Or to use a slightly stronger example, what about her views about something like the legality of homosexuality? What if her acceptance of gay sex being legal was only dependent on the fact that a majority of people thought that? What does that say about her credentials as an upholder of human rights? Now, I know that's a hypothetical counterfactual, but those are the kinds of questions that we need to ask of political leaders, especially when they put themselves forward to lead a nation like Scotland. Hmm. She is a member of the Free Church of Scotland. Now, that is different from the official Church of Scotland, which is Presbyterian. What is distinct about the Free Church of Scotland? I'm not the person to ask about the specificities of different branches of Calvinism. The only thing which I particularly emphasise there is that they are a smaller church with a more radical theology and a more cohesive and committed membership. A lot of those members, like Kate Forbes, are, I understand, born-again Christians uh, who have come to the church at some point in their lives. They don't necessarily have the same legacy of members who grew up in the faith and therefore sometimes have a slightly different relationship towards it than those who enter it later on that they can see or they accept a different kind of range of contradictions or a role 
for their faith and their church and their life. And that may or may not be true in the case of Kate Forbes, but I think it's another one of the concerns that people have. It's very different to be someone like Joe Biden saying, well, you know, I'm a Catholic because he grew up a Catholic, but nobody really believes that Joe Biden holds to everything that the Pope says. In fact, it's very obvious that he doesn't. And there are constant controversies over whether or not Catholic bishops should censor or sanction him for this. That's very different to somebody who voluntarily joins a church and signs up to a range of beliefs that other people may find unacceptable. But interestingly, you argue that even though Kate Forbes's church, the Free Church of Scotland, a Calvinist church has a very strict doctrine. Historically, it's actually quite unlikely to want to impose its doctrine on wider society. Why? This is a fascinating shift which has started to occur in Christianity at a much broader level, which interests me as an historian, that traditionally, as we know, many of the churches that were most active in what we might call social disciplining, that's controlling the behaviour and the morality of people subject to them were the proselytizing churches or the ones that aimed for universal membership, such as the Catholic Church. And of course, we all know the story of things like the the Holy Office and the Spanish Inquisition and their efforts to impose a sense of of morality on Catholic populations. But uh, Calvinists, Protestants were somewhat different in that their basic belief system was to believe that they represented an elect group of people who would be saved. And they showed that they would be saved by their good example, by living a good and holy life. But they also believed that many other people were damned. And I mean, in that sense, it didn't necessarily matter what they did. But if, if your basic belief structure is that some people are saved and other people are damned, but that God decides this and it doesn't really matter on human agency, you're not under the same pressure to make everybody else behave correctly and conform to your moral standards that you are or that leading Catholic clergy felt they were at various points in the past. Mm. Yeah, it's a fascinating twist. Kate Forbes has won the backing of some rather unlikely supporters. Uh, Who are you talking about? Well, one of the people who's come out in support of Kate Forbes is the lesbian feminist philosopher Kathleen Stock, who listeners may remember was hounded out of the University of Sussex for her gender-critical views. Since then, of course, she's become a great champion of the freedom of speech in all contexts. And I, I think she very much sees this as one of those kind of issues that uh, we need to draw a very, uh, perhaps a slightly subtle but very important distinction between saying it's very legitimate to criticise Kate Forbes's views and to question whether or not somebody who holds those social views is an appropriate candidate for first minister. But that doesn't mean that she shouldn't be part of the political process. She should be free to make her arguments when she puts herself forward, be required to explain herself rather than simply be handed off the stage. Yes, and it's worthwhile quoting Kathleen Stock uh, here writing. She said, what we have is a clash of two religions. One of them is full of sanctimonious, swivel-eyed, moral scolds, rooting out heresy and trying to indoctrinate everybody into their fantastic way of thinking. The other is a branch of Calvinism. Have some of Kate Forbes's critics taken on their own form of religious fanaticism? Yes, I think it's widely accepted in many circles that there are certain strands of progressive thought and activism which have become their own form of religion, if you'd like to use that terminology for it, that they are 
impervious to criticism or reason. And this is clearly, of course, one of the contexts to this is that that is what brought down Nicola Sturgeon as first minister, her unconditional support for the idea that uh, any man can define himself as a woman, even when it turned out that he's a convicted rapist and wanted to go to a woman's prison. Yet the intolerance of dissent or the unwillingness to accommodate counterexamples or contradictions or problems of that kind in the mode of thinking, it makes it look very religious and very fanatical. And Kate Forbes is, is in a sense, a, a sort of victim of that mode of thinking as well. What do you see as the principle at stake in this case? The basic principle at stake is what people can and can't say in public life and what views they can and can't hold. One thing I brought up in the article I wrote for ABC Online is this uh, idea which the philosopher Karl Popper came up with of the sort of paradox of the liberal society, that uh, a liberal society can only flourish when it uh, doesn't tolerate intolerance. The difficulty in all these cases is always, well, how do you define intolerance? What's the threshold for that? And the problem we seem to have today is that the the bar is set much too low. Simply because somebody says that they wouldn't personally support gay marriage is not necessarily a strong enough reason to exclude them from public life. We need to be capable as a society in Australia or in Britain or anywhere else of tolerating a wide diversity of opinions, many of which we don't like and which we often don't respect. A society which is sufficiently homogenous, uh, in which we all more or less agree on the same values and same things, is going to be very boring and very susceptible to groupthink and would ultimately be far worse than the pluralist liberal democracies in which we live today. Yeah. Is this controversy something that you see as likely to manifest itself at some point in Australia? There's a sense in which we've skirted slightly around these controversies in Australia over the last few years. The Christian beliefs of Tony Abbott, of Dominic Perrottet, even of Scott Morrison, have all been subject to scrutiny under the microscope, although in none of those cases has there been quite the same suggestion that the fact that they were Christians disqualified them from office or created this kind of jeopardy, which we've seen now several times in British politics. But one of my concerns is always that uh, what happens in Britain or America eventually reaches Australia because the Anglosphere is such a connected cultural system. So it's something that we must watch out for as Australians and we must defend our right to hold pluralistic views on all kinds of subjects, including religion and gender. Dr. Miles Pattenden. Miles is a senior research fellow at the Institute for Religion and Critical Inquiry at the Australian Catholic University. He's also a visiting fellow at Peterhouse in Cambridge, which is where we've caught him now. Thank you for being on the Religion and Ethics Report. Thank you very much.